0: This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today we've got a very special guest with us. We have uh, Brother David Reeves, a tremendous, tremendous individual. Um, He's got several uh, things, uh, resources that you can look up, uh, and they really focus on... uh, uh, creationism, uh, proof of a creator, of uh, um, supernatural design, um, things of that nature. So, uh, Brother Reeves, would you just uh, sort of tell our listeners a little bit about those uh, different uh, resources that you have, um, and we'll go from there.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, number one. Um Yeah, we we actually have a number of ministry outreaches, including a free um, bi-monthly magazine called the Creation Club magazine, and uh, that goes out to probably about 15,000 households uh, around the state, and um, that magazine is is a little bit at a layman's level, although we do have some more scientific articles, basically stating the case that We see these design features. We see complexity everywhere, uh, everywhere we go, all around the entire universe. And uh, this points to a designer, obviously, instead of random chance or mutations and natural selection plus millions of years. And um, so the magazine, the Creation Club magazine, that is one of our free resources. And another one of our free resources is um, Genesis Science Network, which is a 24 7. A television network dedicated to biblical history, to science, to creation versus evolution, to um, the origins issue, and that one is uh, accessible at GenesisScienceNetwork dot uh, Again, twenty four seven, it streams free to the public. It's uh, you can also download the Roku app or the Amazon Fire TV app. Um, uh, many, uh, some terrestrial stations have picked it up, so you can actually find it on some of your. Uh, your local channels occasionally. Uh, but that's Genesis Science Network. And that was kind of an attempt to um, counter this atheistic concept. You see, I love Discovery Channel content, I love National Geographic and so forth. But, um, you know, about five years ago, I got tired of all of this great science content that these networks espouse. And yet at the very end of these great science documentaries and programs, it says, you know, and all of this happened over billions of years of mutations and natural selection. And I, and I said, well, can't we give glory to our creator for his creation? And that's how Genesis Science Network w- began. Uh, since then, it's, it's the only thing of its kind. And uh, we have thousands upon thousands of videos that, um, that air every week. Uh, we've received salvation reports from the network, we've received so many different uh, emails and testimonials from uh, people including atheists and agnostics who are using our ministry and and they realize that uh, the ministry resources that they're seeing here are not simply uh, conjecture, these are facts that we're using scientific facts that we're actually using that points back to a designer And, of course, I believe that designer is Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible. So those are a few of our resources. We also have a a number of other websites. We run the largest origins-related store in the world called the Creation Superstore. Uh, We have about uh, 1,300 different titles, both books and videos. Um, And we also have a museum here in uh, Tennessee, south of Nashville, called the Wonders Center. And the Wonders Center... um, We've got observatory class telescopes. We have uh, artifacts dating back to the 1100s. We've got, you know, thousand-year-old Torah scrolls. We've got uh, full-size dinosaur models, uh, fossils, and paleontology that uh, I dig up every year on paleontological digs that I lead. And so church groups, school groups, um, including homeschool groups, uh, come. They'll bring a bus to the museum and take people through, and uh, most of the time, people leave just awed and I think that the reason that that this impacts people so much is because we're always told, well you have to have faith, you're a Christian, you have to have faith. Uh, and then from the other uh, side of things, the secularist says, well we have the science we don't need faith. we have science that explains everything. And in fact, what we find is that scientists interpret data in different ways, our faith yes we've got faith but our faith is a a reasoned faith that is not a blind faith at all the atheist has to take by blind faith that the universe can self-create and that that i just believe that takes uh, a, a tremendous amount of faith in an unknown deity of natural selection and chance I think it's far more reason to believe that we do have a designer, and that designer is the God of the Bible.
0: Amen. Absolutely. Uh, and recently I came across, um, I don't, honestly, I don't remember if it was while I was on YouTube or if I had happened to be scrolling through Instagram and someone had shared, uh, some of your, uh, a link to one of your posts or something like that, but, um, great content. Um, I've had the privilege, uh, for the last few months of, of following you and, and the things that you produce. And it is, is just so incredible because it's like you said, you know, it's at least the, you know, the Genesis Science Network, it's one of its kind, you know, we are, we're as Christians and I find that, especially so my children go to a secular school, um, a public school, so they're not homeschooled. We're looking at some homeschooling options currently, but uh, they and they're being fed all of these things, and they they just have to believe that it's true, right? And then they're told that if you don't believe that this is true, you're wrong,
1: <laughs>
0: even though they'll Isn't, promote it as a theory,
1: <laughs> right? And that's incredibly dangerous because you see wh- The greatest scientists of all times realized that you have to be open-minded, that you have to be willing to look at different ideas, and yet we're being spoon-fed an atheistic doctrine, the doctrine of evolution, uh, every day in the school system, and we're not talking about just at uh, the public school system. We're talking about in schools, universities, colleges. Our top institutions are spoon-feeding students that... There is only one way of looking at this, and the only way of looking at it is from an atheistic perspective. And of course, we've been told this because uh, we've been told that it's not intellectual to believe in a in a designer, right? We've been told that it is intellectual to uh, let nature handle everything, that given enough time, Mother Nature will simply take over. And, you know, I was chewing that over one day, and I realized that not only does the atheist have a religion but they have developed a pantheon of different deities that they hold to the same authority that we do the god of the bible uh, their their deity their gods are the god of time the god of chance the the god of natural selection uh, all of these pantheon of gods that the atheist has to hold to or else his theory is intellectually bankrupt. So if we admit, if we understand that even in the atheistic evolutionary perspective, mm. they're they're having to rely on supernatural powers to create the universe, the powers of time and chance and natural selection, well then that's a religion. It's a belief in supernatural powers, and it is a faith-based belief because there's no empirical evidence to suggest that – the universe could ever come about by itself.
0: Wow. Uh, I would like you, if you don't mind, to just share maybe a few of um, maybe recent uh, discoveries or uh, maybe sort of revelations that you had or, or things that you found maybe over the last few months or last few years um, that really uh, bring us to to proof of. Uh, you know, uh, creationism.
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll just, um, I'll go through a few, you know, I was reading a uh, a passage in the book of Job, um, which seems to have a lot of scientific insight. Um, I believe that the reason we find so much scientific insight in the book of Job is because so much of it is God actually talking to Job one-on-one. It's God challenging Job uh, to to look at life a little bit differently, even through the midst of his struggles and his challenges, to look at life uh, in the respect that there is someone greater in control, that Job can't control his own life. And there's a passage in the book of Job that says that God does great things past finding out and wonders without number. And when I read that, I it took me a while, I had to chew on it for a while And I realized that yes, God has done great things past finding out There are things in this life that we will never be able to understand uh, They're not our comprehension But at the same time, the, the last part of that verse says That he's done great things past finding out And wonders number So what are these wonders? Well these wonders are literally things that we can study These are wonders of the natural world that we can research scientifically, and we're faced with basically two, two possibilities. We can give God the glory for his creation, or we can try to ascribe those wonders to purely naturalistic means. Now, of course, the appropriate response would be to give God glory for these wonders. But then I realized, well, okay, now we obviously have a universe full of wonders that can be explored, using the scientific method, and we can ask the question, does this point to a designer or does this point to a naturalism? Well, um, my second book, um, which is 21 Verses Backed by Science, um, it it, it kind of has the concept of this. If the Bible is the inspired Word of God, inspired by the Father, by Yahweh Himself, the God of the Bible, then shouldn't we expect the Bible to be scientific anytime it talks about science and uh, correct poetry anytime it talks uh, about poetry, correct prophecy anytime it speaks on prophecy, correct history anytime there is a historical account? If the Bible really is what it claims to be, the inspired Word of God, then it should be correct anytime it speaks on these issues. So, The concept of my second book, 21 Verses Backed by Science, was let's take 21 different verses scattered throughout the scriptures, uh, through both the Old and the New Testaments, and simply ask the question, does the Bible know best? Is, Is it scientifically accurate in its statement? And in researching for this book and in writing it, I realized, wow, we have an abundance of evidence, an abundance of proof, That the Bible is inspired
0: because as
1: you go through these different verses scattered throughout the scriptures, you realize that uh, it's extremely scientifically accurate. And now, I'll just, I want to point out a few, uh, if that's okay with you, I just want to. Absolutely. Yeah. Well,. So, so Brandon, I guess the first thing that I always look at is astronomy. Uh, it was my passion 14 years ago when I started the ministry. It was inspired by uh, that verse in Psalm 19, uh, Psalm 19.1. And it says basically that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And it tells us that day after day utters speech and night after night shows knowledge. But there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. So it's almost as if the heavens are shouting out at us that we have a grand designer, that we are not some cosmic accident the result of 14 billion years of chance processes, but instead that we are created with design and purpose, that we're created in the image of a God who loves us. A God who loves us so much that he actually came down uh, through this universe onto this tiny little speck that we call Earth uh, to, to offer us eternal life with him. And when I started researching astronomy, I realized that there are some key features that many people have missed. And many of my colleagues, uh, astrophysicists, astronomers, uh, cosmologists um, have noticed this, but so many people. Uh, don't put this in the textbooks. Uh, so so let me spell it out for you. Einstein uh, came along, and he was a brilliant man, and he took um, Sir Isaac Newton's research on gravity. And Sir Isaac Newton had proposed that you might look at gravity here on Earth as, say, an apple falling from a tree. Well, Einstein comes along and he said, well, okay, perhaps that's a simplistic way of looking looking at it here on Earth, but but wait a second. In The universe in the cosmos, well, space doesn't have direction, so you can't have something falling down, and he proposed this model that is almost like a fabric of space-time, a fabric that is uh, the very fabric of the universe that can be stretched out whenever there's a star that's placed on that fabric, or whether there's a, a large mass or a galaxy or the Earth, anything that is in the fabric of space-time creates a, a stretching, a dimple in that fabric. And now that this sounds so brilliant because when we start to use this in modeling and in simulation, it really does explain many of the things we see going on in the universe as far as gravity is, is explained. But that's not an original thought because there are approximately 16 verses scattered all throughout the scriptures that speaks of God stretching the heavens like a fabric, like a curtain. It says he stretched out the heavens like a tent, like all of these references to the heavens being described as stretched like a fabric. And yet Einstein was proclaimed brilliant for his looking at the universe as a fabric that can be stretched. What he was actually doing is he was thinking God's thoughts after God himself.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you you realize that there's nothing new under the sun, that anything we can possibly think of, our our Lord and Savior has already thought of. And in fact, he's using these things in the design of the universe. Well, then it begs the question, uh, how can we comprehend those things? You see, mathematics is pretty abstract. Numbers. Are abstract. Uh, I have a friend who's an astrophysicist. He says you can't stump your toe on a number three. (laughs) In other words, the number three only exists in our minds. It's not a it's not a physical thing that you can point to three objects on a table and say, "Well, that's that's three objects." Or you can draw a three on a piece of paper and say that represents three, but it's not actually the number three. So numbers. Are abstract, and yet we can use numbers to comprehend some of the the most complex physical properties and laws of the entire universe. So, if we just make up numbers in our mind, why is that that we can comprehend universal laws? From a naturalistic perspective, there's no reason we should be able to understand anything that's going on in the universe around us, but And here's where it gets so exciting. You see, if, Brandon, if we were actually created in the image of God, then that means that we have this tiny fraction of an ability to comprehend the things that he comprehends. That we have this tiny fraction, a fraction of a fraction of the ability to use numbers like he used numbers when he created the universe. So if we are created in God's image – then we have a mind that should be able to comprehend numbers and mathematics. So even the very laws and physics of the universe that we study is pointing back to the idea that we're created in the image of someone who created the universe and its laws. Isn't that exciting?
0: Yes, sir. That's
1: incredible. And,
0: you know, And we never – I think that it's not really some – something that we look at from that perspective necessarily. We just well it it just is what it is and and I, I feel like a lot of Christians get confused because yes we have these numbers. Yes we have these sciences but where did all that come from? You know somewhere <laughs> that knowledge came from a higher being. You know we yes. it, it didn't just one day well I know I know the pythagorean theorem one day i (laughs) learned how electricity worked one day and so when we look at it from this perspective that you're talking about it it brings sort of a new light and really i would even say a new respect for god
1: yes now that's an excellent point, Brandon, because a lot of times I'll speak in churches and congregations around the country and or conferences, and someone will come up to me afterwards and they would say, uh, well, David, that was inspiring, but we, we definitely want you to know that we don't need any of what you said. Uh, and, and I get where they're going with that, I, and I immediately say, "Well, well, I understand that. You see, I'm a Christian. I have faith that what the Bible says is true. But again, it's not a blind faith. And if we ignore this evidence that shows God's power, well, then we're ignoring a major opportunity to witness to other people. A lot of people use the phrase uh, – use the verse in Romans, Romans 1.20, that says that the invisible things since the creation of the world are being clearly understood. They're, they're being understood by the things that are made so that even we can understand God's power. The Godhead itself uh, – in more detail through the things that we see around us. In other words, Paul's telling the Romans that all you have to do is look around you at the the things in the natural world, and it's pointing back to God's power, to the Godhead. So why would we want to miss the opportunity to study these things, and not only to be inspired by God's power, but also to become more effective witnesses for Christ when we, when we reach out and we're talking to that coworker who might be a little bit of a skeptic or that family member who has had questions or perhaps a young person who has uh, just, just gone into college and now his biology professor is making him question his faith. If we don't use these evidences, we're missing out on something so incredibly inspiring and powerful that points us back. Not only to Christ, but it strengthens our faith in Christ.
0: Amen. Amen to that. And so, whenever, you know, we're, it really, in it, a- any position where we're doing some form of outreach, whether it's on the job or whether it's with a family member, whether it's in a Bible study or whether it's at a conference or whether it's you know on some doing some street evangelism or door knocking, people will have questions. You know, this isn't this isn't uh, you know the baby boomer generation where you could be told something and you just believed it. And that's not to say. Yes. And that's not saying anything negative about them. You know, they had a higher respect for authority. That generation did. They had a higher respect for the their parents. And you know, the Bible specifically tells us that as time goes on, people are going to be lovers of themselves, and and they're not going to have a respect for authority. And there's going to be carnage and anarchy. And we we realize that that is coming. And so we're obviously there's sort of a degradation um, of that respect for authority and that understanding um of that and so over time yes young people uh are gonna gen- naturally they're gonna want to know the reason why do i do this this way what why is this important why and if in uh, to be fair i feel like there's a lot of christian young people out there that walked away from god because we were Sort of this is just the way it's done, this is just the way we've always done it, because we had a generation where that's all they that's how they were told and that's how they were taught, and instead of yes, we know that there's a reason, but what is the reason? Why do we believe it? Show me some proof and and that's so much more powerful when you can give the proof now, I recognize it's like you said the proof isn't necessary, yeah. but we serve a God. That does miracles. That does signs and wonders. So there is, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So there's substance to it. And it's the evidence, so there's evidence of things that we can't physically see.
1: That's right. But he's left us clues. And see, that's the thing. Sometimes we can't see it, but we see these these hints and these clues. And, Brandon, that's what I call God's fingerprints. You see, <laughs> everywhere we look, whether it's in paleontology or astronomy or astrophysics or microbiology even, we see these patterns and we see these, these complex features. And I think we're just getting a glimpse of God's fingerprints of design. You know, when we, when we study genetics, I believe that DNA is literally this code of life that is so inspired, that is so perfect – that we can't even begin to understand it. Just within the last few years, we're realizing that our DNA sequence can actually be read in three dimensions, that it can be read forwards and backwards, and it can create codes that actually spell something, both from left to right, from right to left. Uh, When it's folded in on itself, uh, if you were to skip a sentence, the base pairs that make up our genetic code This is so advanced that even though it's only four characters, or as we would call it, characters, it represents God's code of life. Uh, You know, there's an estimate that if we were to write out our entire genetic sequence in our bodies, in the human body, that it would fill up about 1,200 encyclopedia volumes. And that's pretty impressive because that's a unique individual. Nobody else has this 1,200 encyclopedia volume that is exactly the same. There's, it's not like this is a, a mass printing uh, experiment. No, each 1,200 encyclopedia volume set that you have inside of you is unique to the person next to you. And what makes it even more incredible is that it, we realize that that whole set of information is so compact. And it's found in nearly every cell of your body. Now, you start to to do the math on this. Well, if that whole set of information is found in nearly every cell of your body, well, then you could start to write out the information in every cell of your body, and it would fill up the entire Library of Congress multiple times. So this data set, this information language system of DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, is embroiled in every creature, in every blade of grass, in every rose, in every butterfly, in every person, in in every piece of life that we see. And it's this reminder that God has a language, the language of DNA, and it is his fingerprint that we're looking at.
0: And, you know, and it's not just your dna specifically it's you know for it and when we're talking about the fingerprints of god what about how he designed each and every one of us to have fingerprints that are unique specifically to the individual or um that there's a certain protein in your body that holds all all of you together yes you know
1: these yeah I, these clues are all around us. And <laughs> what's exciting is that in the last few years, and we've discovered hundreds of these clues that we had no idea existed. And I, I think that does get back to the, the point that there are invisible characteristics that God has placed throughout the universe uh, that, uh, that point back to him.
0: Absolutely. Um, I wonder if uh, maybe you could just talk a little bit about, uh, let's talk a little bit of just a little bit about maybe dinosaurs and the things that you've discovered um, in paleontological digs and, uh, you know, how that brings us back to the word of God.
1: Well, uh, I lead paleontological digs uh, every year. Uh, The next one will actually be in September. We're we're nearly full on this dig. We've got about, um, I think we're probably going to have around uh, 40 or 50. Uh, And basically, I will take them out into the uh, Niobrera Formation in Kansas. And out in the middle of Kansas, western Kansas, uh, you've got these flat areas, but then you have some erosion. And in the erosion, uh, you start to dig down, and you start to find some dinosaur remains, things like uh, duckbill dinosaurs and uh, Edmonosaurus. But more than the land dinosaurs that you find, we find an abundance of marine creatures. Now, here's what I'm talking about. Most of the people that I take on these digs, they've never dug before. They want to learn how to dig up dinosaur bones. They want to learn the the proper methods. So I would take them out into the field and we spend days uh, walking through the fields and learning how to dig up the bones that we find. Well, as we walk through the fields, we're, we're stepping on literally hundreds of thousands of clams that are fossilized. Some of these clams are, you know, over two feet in diameter. They're massive clams that are fossilized. Well, clams you typically find near water. Oh, that's interesting. Well, as you go through the Niobrara formation and you start to dig, all of a sudden you might happen upon a, a series of, of vertebrae, of backbones that are from, let's just say, a scissor tails factinus. No, the scissor tails of Actinus is an eighteen foot long, gigantic fish, uh, that's also <laughs> a creature that spends a lot of time in the water. Um, well, as we dig further, we might happen upon the the skull of a mosasaur, a giant, forty or fifty foot long marine predator, uh, a Tylosaur type creature similar to Leviathan that we read about in the Bible. Well. A giant, 50-foot-long marine creature, a giant predator. It's not technically a dinosaur, but it's about as close as you can get. It's like a giant dragon in the sea. And this is in the middle of Kansas. This is a 1,000 miles from the nearest ocean. It's at 2,500 feet above sea level. Obviously, there was a lot of water there at some point in the past. Well, even the secularists admit this. Um, A secular paleontologist Look at these fossils, and they say, "Well, obviously these are sea creatures, and there must have been a lot of water here." But what they often, uh, what they often fall into, is they'll say, "Well, I guess it must have been millions upon millions of years ago. There was a, a large ocean here. There was a lot of water." Well, you see, I would agree, it had to have been a lot of water. But we read about a historical account in the Book of Genesis about a gigantic flood. Uh, about a little over 4,000 years ago that actually was so catastrophic, it would have buried all of the marine creatures all around the world under massive amounts of not only water, but mud and sands and silts that would have preserved those fossils. So why do we need the millions of years of evolution? when we realize that the history already recorded in the Bible holds the keys as to why we find fossils in these rock layers.
0: Right. That's tremendous. I love that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Brandon, you need to, uh, you need to come with us sometime on, uh, on one of these digs. I'd love to have you out in the field and, um, perhaps some of your listeners might, uh, might be interested, uh, If you, if you ever want to consider it, just, uh, we've made it pretty easy. You just text the word dino, D-I-N-O, to 931-212-7990. And then we'll send you brochures and information. Um, but I lead these every September. Uh, and you know, most people have dreamed even as a child of digging up dinosaurs, of finding these creatures. But really, when you get out in the field, and you actually start to do the research, and you start to see these bones as they're laid in these fields, well, you realize that it's powerful proof of biblical truth, that it's really extremely good evidence that the history we read about in the Bible is true. And, and if the history is true, and then the science is true, and then the prophecy Prophecies have come true again and again and again, and that means that future prophecies and the gospel message is true, and that we have an exciting, as Christians, we have an exciting future to look forward to.
0: That is that is just incredible. Well, Brother Reeves, we really appreciate your time. We're so thankful that you've taken the time out of your very busy schedule to join us on Apostolic Theory to talk about. Uh, the case for creationism some of the things that you're doing to help um, empower um, and give knowledge to the body of christ um, through these incredible resources and uh, we really appreciate the resources and we really appreciate your time this afternoon for this episode
1: well thank you so much brandon again i would just encourage people if if they're interested in learning more, go to dot com, David, and sign up for our free email updates, our free bi-monthly magazine, and start to learn about these things. Uh, everything, Pretty much everything we do is a ministry outreach. We're just trying to encourage people when we see teen suicide on the rise, when we see 22 veteran suicides every single day, when we see school shootings, when we see the atrocities in the world, and, and we... We have to ask ourselves the questions, could it be that we have told people that they were chance, that they were animals for so long that they have begun to believe that there's no purpose in life? And what if – what if we can be a part of encouraging those who have these questions, that they're more than, than mere animals, mm-hmm. that they're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God – and uh, and that we can be a part of his family for eternity. That's the exciting that's the good news and that is what uh, that's what our ministry is all about. That is incredible.
0: So you heard it folks. check out davidreeves.com uh, Incredible ministry. I'm telling you, I believe you can connect to all the other uh, ministries that he does through that website. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Right on the front page, you'll see all of the outreaches of our ministry. There's links to our TV shows, Genesis Science Network, the magazine, everything right there.
0: And then also the Creation Superstore where you can buy those publications uh, that you um, talked about, your books, and uh, all those other resources as well.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right.
0: Perfect. So uh, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been an incredible blessing to me and I'm sure it will be to all the listeners that hear it. Thank you, Brandon. God bless. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.